Well, some time ago, I was talking to a friend uh, who is kind of into Buddhism and Eastern spirituality. He's uh, a Guaylo, a Westerner like me, um, but, you know, lots of us are kind of into that these days. And he's had really not that much to do with Christ, uh, the church and Christianity. And he said to me, what spiritual practices do you do as a Christian? Um, now, that's a bit of a different approach to asking about the Christian faith. Sometimes people will say things like, uh, how do I know that God exists? Uh, which is a very different way from uh, what spiritual practices do you do as a Christian? It's a question actually I go through with parents who are preparing their children for being baptized uh, as they promise that they will raise their children in the faith and practice of the church. And as we heard today from David, there's three key practices uh, or elements to Christian spirituality. Prayer, reading the Bible, and going to church. Jesus' disciples, in as we heard in Luke's Gospel, asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And in response, he taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. And so over the next four weeks, you guys have invited me to come and share with you a little bit about how Jesus teaches us to pray through this prayer. Uh, I gave these talks um, last year during lockdown when we were all meeting online and uh, we, we had really short sermons. I know that's not David's style, but I'm in an Anglican church and, uh, and so we, you know, we like to be a bit briefer. So I did seven short sermons and you get four. Um, we're kind of squashing them together. So today we're going to look at the first two lines in the prayer. Our Father in heaven and hallowed be your name. Uh, and you can see where the rest of the series is going for some reason. Um, prayer is the heartbeat of the Christian faith and our experience as Christians. Prayer gives us a window and this prayer especially gives us a window into what the Christian faith is all about. And so I hope in this series that you will grow if you're exploring the Christian faith or if you've been a Christian for a long time and everywhere in between. So part one, our Father. So what is prayer? I was talking to some other friends about prayer and they compared prayer with meditation or mindfulness. And I can see that there's some similarities there. You know, there's an inwardness, an attention, a calming of the mind, at least sometimes. But there's a fundamental difference. For the Christian, prayer is all about relationship. See, God has made us for relationship with himself. And he's created us to know him and to love him. And the lifeblood of all relationships is communication. So when it comes to a relationship with God, he speaks to us primarily through his word and we speak to him through prayer. Well, if that's what prayer is, why do we find it so hard? Why don't we pray? Well, I want to suggest it's because we don't know or maybe we forget who it is we're praying to. 
Who do we pray to? Well, Jesus said we pray to our Father in heaven. So what does that mean? Well, there's two main ways I think we misunderstand or don't understand who it is we're praying to. First, we only have a vague idea of who God is. We might think of God as some sort of cosmic spiritual force or something that unites and pervades all things or an ocean of being or whatever. It's a kind of very impersonal picture of God. But second, we might picture God as a person but see him as like an infinitely bigger version of all the bad authority figures we've experienced in our life. The word father itself may be unhelpful for you because of the failures of our own fathers. This is the picture of God as a cosmic tyrant or a bully. He's certainly powerful, but is he good? Jesus says when we pray, we're to begin with the words, Our Father in heaven. This tells us that the one we're praying to is not an impersonal force, but a person, our Father in heaven. John chapter 1, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is why Jesus came, to make the Father known. He reveals the Father so that we might know him as our Father. Jesus tells us what God is like. I don't know whether you saw it there in our reading from Luke chapter 11. Uh, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil know how to give good gifts to your children, well, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Yes, our parents have stuffed up, and I know as a dad, I have certainly stuffed up, even today. But our Father in heaven is good. He's good. He loves us. He sent his son to die for us so that we can be adopted as his children. John chapter 1, verse 12 says that when we believe in Christ, we receive the right to become children of God. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 3, you're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Because all of you who are baptised into Christ have been baptised into his body. We heard about that today, didn't we? Saw a baptism. Fantastic. It's just beautiful, that sign of adoption into God's family, becoming a child of God. Paul goes on, chapter 4, verse 6. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights as sons. And because you're sons, 
God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. This is the incredible news at the heart of Christianity. That not only did Jesus die for our sins, but that as we trust in him, we are adopted as God's children. Now, some people might ask, why does Paul say sons but not children? And you even kind of saw the uncomfortableness uh, in our reading where the new NIV translators, they can't hack it, they, they translate it as children, not sons. But it says sons. It doesn't say children. Why? Is Paul being sexist? Well, this question actually helps us see just how profound Paul's words are. See, Paul is saying that as we trust in Jesus... We share in his very relationship as the divine son with the father. We are invited into that. Abba is the Aramaic word for daddy. And it's how Jesus himself speaks about his father, speaks to his father. And so God sends the spirit of his son, Jesus very own presence into our hearts so that with Jesus we can call God Abba, our Father. That's how intimate the relationship is. Of course, God is not just my Father, He's our Father. Jesus draws us not only into a relationship with God, but also into relationship with each other. We've heard about that. That's totally part of baptism, isn't it? What we saw today. It's why the church is God's family. We're sisters and brothers in Christ. One of our favourite TV shows, my wife Claire and I, is The Crown. I know that you guys have seen it. It's pretty good TV. Season one, it's all about the early life of Queen Elizabeth II. And some of the most moving scenes are those where there's the princesses Elizabeth and Margaret simply enjoying time with their dad, who happens to be King George VI. Now, there is a whole lot of protocol and formality and distance that everyone has to go through to get an audience with the king. But you know what they can do? They can just run past all of that into his arms because they're his daughters. That's what being a child of the king gets you. Free access into his presence. And that's what you and I have in prayer. Free access to God's own throne room as his children. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians, through Jesus, we all have access to the Father by one spirit. Whatever your past, whatever your circumstances, you have a Father in heaven who loves you. His son has died for you. He's adopted you into his family invites you to come into his throne room. That's what prayer's about. So will you come? 
Well, part two, hallowed be your name. What's the biggest issue you think we're facing in our world today? Coronavirus, maybe especially on the subcontinent. Climate change. Rising power of China. Tensions between Israel and Palestine. I mean, how on earth can you choose? We can be overwhelmed with the needs of our world. What can we do? How should we pray? Where do we start? Well, in the Lord's Prayer, we've just heard Jesus teaches us who we're to pray to, our Father in heaven, who delights to give his children good gifts. And Jesus also teaches us what to pray. And the Lord's Prayer is divided kind of roughly into six petitions. The first three are about God and the second three are about us. And so we're going to look in the second part of the, ser- part of the sermon at that first petition, hallowed be your name. Now, I don't know about you, but I have to say, I find that this part of the prayer is the most difficult to understand. I mean, what on earth does it mean to hallow God's name? And we, we almost never use that word in English. Cricket lovers in Australia might speak of the hallowed turf of the MCG. On Anzac Day, we might speak of the soil of Gallipoli hallowed by the blood of fallen soldiers. And by this we mean that the soil has kind of been made a bit special, a bit sacred, maybe even holy. It's got to be treated differently from other things. You know, you've got to manicure that lawn with nail clippers. To hallow something is to treat it as holy, to give it the honour that it deserves. So what then does it mean to ask God, may your name be honoured as you deserve? Well, we begin to see an answer in our first reading from Isaiah chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, you can have a look there. So in Isaiah chapter 6, he has a vision of God. And God is high. He's exalted. His train fills, the train of his robe fills the temple. And there's these six winged angels that are flying around and they are calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the whole temple shakes. It's filled with smoke. It's an overwhelming experience for Isaiah. He is completely undone. What does he say? Woe is me! I'm ruined! I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah catches a glimpse of God. He sees his power. He sees his glory. He sees his holiness. He sees, if you like, his moral perfection. 
And in seeing God, Isaiah also sees himself. He sees that there is an abyss between him and God that would swallow him whole. He knows his own wretched imperfection. It's what the British author Francis Spufford calls the human propensity to stuff things up. Except he didn't use the word stuff. So often it comes out in what we say. Not only do we fail to honour God, we also dishonour those who are made in his image. And Isaiah knows it's not just an individual problem, it's a corporate problem too. Maybe you know that only too well in your own life. Well, if God's holiness highlights just how unholy we are, why on earth would Jesus tell us to pray this as the first thing? Is God like some narcissistic world leaders who need to be constantly told how good they are and insist on everything being about them? I wrote that before the election last year. Well, we find the answers to these two questions if we look at the place where God's holiness, his power, his glory are most clearly displayed. Where's that place? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 12, verse 27, he says, Now is my heart troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. What's the hour Jesus is talking about? It's the hour of his death. This is where the Father's name is glorified. As Jesus says in the next chapter, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. Here, in the shame and humiliation of the cross, we see God's glory on display because his glory is to forgive the unworthy. His holiness is to wash the unclean. Even you and me. This is why the angel could say to Isaiah, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. The cross is where the Father's name is hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. 
God, you see, is not a narcissist who pushes himself up by pushing others down. He shows his glory by going to the depths to bring us up. He shows his glory by taking our humiliation upon himself that we might share his glory. And it's here in his being lifted up on the cross that Jesus says he will draw all people to himself. By his cross, Jesus washes us clean. He brings us home. And so as we kneel before the cross, our hearts are lifted to honour and to praise him. And in honouring him, we honour his father. Our Father. It's this name, not another. He's the lover who's given his life that we might be his. He doesn't want us to give our hearts to anyone or anything else. This prayer, hallowed be your name, is in fact an invitation for us like Isaiah, to enter the throne room. We stand there by his grace. We can delight in his holiness because with his holy blood, he has purchased our forgiveness. The prayer, hallowed be your name, is an invitation for us to worship, to praise his name. It's an invitation for us to join with the angels, to to join with all of creation, the theatre of God's glory, to join with all God's holy people throughout the ages and around the world today and proclaim, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Amen. What's the most important thing in the world right now? Where do we start? How do we pray? Well, Jesus says, start with Worship. Hallowed be your name. Our creator is also our redeemer. The one through whom all things were made is also the one through whom all things are reconciled. He's the heartbeat of the story. God's story. The world's story. Our story, your story. And when we stand before his throne in worship, we see ourselves and our world rightly. In worship, you see, God reorders our hearts. He makes us ready to serve him and his world. More on that next week.
But today, will you come into the throne room of the King? Through Jesus, he welcomes you as his daughter, as his son. We delight in the beauty of his holiness. Amen.